Wow. Thank you, William. Hey, uh, good morning, everyone. Um, before I get into my talk, before I get into wrapping up this series we've been in, uh, I just wanted to share a little bit. Um, I was gone for two weeks in Brazil. Uh, thanks for all the emails, checking up on me. Thank you so much. Uh, that's a joke. I didn't get any, but uh, um, so, you know, so you know you're missed. But, uh, um, uh, but let me, let's throw up that first picture. I come with greetings from uh, Christopher and Denise Meyer, their little boy Jonas, uh, and then Bob Lesher's on your far right. These are missionaries that are sent from this church. Christopher and Denise were just here uh, on furlough, so I know uh, you got to hear them speak, etc. But uh, I got to go down and spend about a week with them. They are missionaries working in Macapá. It's a city in northern Brazil. Um, it was, we had a wonderful time together. You can go to the next picture. I did some Burt's Bees uh, evangelism, if you will. That's their young son, Jonas, and I've introduced him to Burt's Bees, and, and uh, he's still learning that it actually goes on your lips. You don't eat it, but uh, I learned that a couple years ago, so I'll give him some slack. But uh, we had a wonderful time with them uh, in Brazil, and again, they send their greetings to all of you. Uh, I did not travel down alone. I had the privilege of traveling with a vineyard pastor from San Antonio, if you want to go to the next picture. Uh, this guy here is a guy named Derek Blaylock, and a uh, really cool guy. Again, he pastors a vineyard church in, in San Antonio, Texas, and he, when he was 16 years old, he was at a youth camp, and God spoke to him and said, I'm going to send you to Brazil one day as a missionary. And since he was 16, this guy has been praying for Brazil. Obviously, he's not 16 anymore. He's in his early 30s, and he's now married, has four little kids, and uh, he came down just to check it out, and it was a blast to be down there and just to see God really light this guy up in the sense of, uh, of just confirming that call as a missionary. So I, I wanted to introduce you to him. His wife's name is Amanda. Pray for Derek and Amanda Blaylock. So they are now entering into the ramp-up phase of uh, being missionaries down in Brazil. Uh, if you're newer in our church, our church has a long history with Brazil, working with the vineyard down in Brazil and with a mission organization called Shingu Mission. That's the mission that Derek and his wife will be joining. Our church has sent many missionaries down to Brazil. There's a, a missions wall right out this door in the lobby. I'd encourage you to check it out if you've never done that and grab. There's prayer cards. Grab those cards. Uh, please be praying for our missionaries. Uh, we've sent loads of teams down almost every year. I think there was one year we didn't during 08, 09. Remember? Remember those days? But, uh, um, but we've sent teams down, short-term missions teams uh, on two-week trips. We've got a team going down. JT's leading a team uh, the end of May, and uh, that team is full. But I want to extend an invitation. I know it's pretty early, but uh, in 2021, I'm going to be leading a team uh, down to Brazil. It'll be a two-week trip, and it'll be the end of May and then the beginning of June. If you've never been to Brazil, those trips are a riot. I mean, it will, it will change your life. And uh, one of the things that's really cool about these trips is getting to go to another country and experience what God is doing there. And this might sound funny to years, but I, I think this is accurate. I think sometimes, you know, we live here in the States. I sometimes think we forget that Jesus is the Savior of the world, not just America. And, and to go to another country and to go hang out with brothers and sisters and go to their churches and to experience the presence of God 
it just, it just your, your understanding of the kingdom of God and the ways of God just grows. And one of the things that I saw on this trip that was so cool, I got to go to three different vineyard church plants uh, in Brazil. Every church, it was loaded with young people, like 20-year-olds, all these super cool <laughs> Brazilians, and they are like very excited about Jesus uh, lots of young church planters are being trained and raised up. So I uh, uh, just wanted to give you a snapshot of that trip and, uh, um, and again, remind you, please be praying. Our church will be, continue to be invested in Brazil for, for many, many years, so uh, please be praying for Brazil. Okay, uh, as Bill was saying, I'm going to be wrapping up our Colossians series, <clears throat> and the series is called uh, Jesus is Enough. And in this uh, letter, the letter to the Colossians, Paul's uh, writing a letter to a, uh, a young church in the city of Colossae, and it's, and it's a church that he has never been there. Like he's never visited this church. And uh, the way he learned about the church, the information he got was through a buddy of his. It was through a, uh, a friend and a fellow missionary named Epaphras who went to uh, Colossae, and he went there, and, and he preached, just told the story about Jesus. He died. He rose again. He's alive. And, and he told the, the good news about Jesus, and lots of people in this city uh, believed, and they said yes to Jesus, and boom, a church was planted, and Epaphras was there for a while, and we don't know why, but a little uh, bit later, he was thrown into prison in Rome, and uh, his cellmate was Paul, and they had some time to spare, so while they're in prison, uh, Epaphras is saying, hey, let me, let me tell you what was going down in, in Colossae, and he's telling them all about the church, and, and this letter, written from prison, was a letter that Paul wrote in response to the report he got from his buddy Epaphras. And if you're familiar with, with uh, many of Paul's letters, Paul's letters, uh, not all but many, are like a multivitamin. Like they're really short, but they're crammed with information, with instructions on, on just living the Christian life. Uh, if you've been hearing this, if you've been here for this entire series, you've probably noticed that like we've only touched on certain little bits of Colossians. When in prepping for this series, I looked at one church. They did, I think it was 12 or 15 weeks in this, uh, looking at Colossians, and we're doing four. So uh, uh, we will definitely loop back to look at this letter. But just a quick uh, refresher. The first couple chapters are very uh, doctrine, theology heavy. And Paul's writing, again, remember who he's writing to. It's this young church, all these young believers, and he's writing to establish the supremacy of Jesus and he, you know, he's writing saying, hey, Jesus wasn't just some, a good man. He wasn't just a kind man, a good teacher. Jesus was, is the son of God. He was God with skin on. He wrote to establish that. He wrote to establish that what Jesus did in the cross, uh, this rescuing work that he did, that, uh, that it comes from uh, not from our efforts, not from us getting it right. It comes from our belief in him. It comes from us believing that what he did is enough and that, that uh, in believing that, our relationship uh, with God has been, uh, has been restored. And now, in Christ, we've entered into a new life. And uh, here's a scripture from Colossians that kind of sums that up. Uh, this is from the message, so the language is a little different. It says, everything of God gets expressed in him, in Jesus. So you can see and hear him clearly. You don't need a telescope a microscope or a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ and the emptiness of the universe without him. When you come to him, when you start a relationship with Jesus, that fullness comes together for you too. His power extends over everything. 
And one of the themes that we see in Colossians is this, uh, this theme, this movement from old life to new life. And one of the things that Paul drives home is that this new life doesn't just come from like knowing about Jesus, but this new life comes from Jesus now uh, living in us, which is such a mystery. And I, let me ask you a question as we're, as we're getting started here. Um, is that something you ever think about? That, that if you're a follower of Jesus, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit would come and live inside of you. And it says something of just the heart of God, the desire of God to be so in relationship with you that he's like, how close do I want to be to you? I want to come and live inside of you, right? And it says something of his heart that, hey, I want to uh, walk this journey of life with you. But let me ask you that, like yesterday, whatever you're doing, beautiful day, hey, beautiful day yesterday. Was there any times yesterday that you stopped and thought or just the awareness went through your mind like, Jesus lives in me. Like, I'm not alone right now. See, I, I think that's something that we do not uh, consider enough, that he lives in us, that he wants to work in us and work through us. And, and you know, when I was thinking about that, just the thought of, you know, Jesus, of the Spirit of God living in us, uh, this is what came to my mind. On the, on the flight down to Brazil, <coughs> excuse me, uh, I finally watched uh, the movie Avengers Endgame. Have you seen that? If you've got three hours to spare, it's a, it's a good movie. But let me ask, who's your favorite Avenger? Come on. Thor. 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 Okay, Iron Man. Okay, last night we had someone say Hawkeye. And I had like, Hawkeye? He can't do anything. No, he, well, he can, but, but not very much. Um, but, you know, mine is Spider-Man. I have always loved Spider-Man. And, and really, Spider-Man, like a lot of the Avengers... They all have a very similar story, don't they? Like they're, they're just these super regular kind of people. Then they have this experience. You know, he gets bit by a spider or they fall into a vat of something. And, and suddenly these regular people are empowered with incredible power. Right? And we see in these movies, we see them with this new power. They're, they're involved in these massive, you know, superhero exploits, you know, here on earth out in, in, in space, they're jumping around on planets. You know, if you've seen that movie, they're in different, uh, different dimensions. And, and in probably every, you know, superhero movie, uh, there's almost always a scene that makes us laugh. And, uh, and the scene is this, where, where these superhuman, you know, uh, uh, Avengers, when they do something just really normal, Right? When they do something really kind of mundane, it always makes us laugh. So, for instance, and I'm making these up, but you see Thor's in line to order a coffee at Starbucks. We go, oh, we all laugh at that. Or like Hulk is cleaning up the kitchen. Right? Or, or uh, I don't know, Iron Man's jumping into a taxi to get somewhere. And, and we laugh at those scenes because uh, that's not what superheroes do. Right? It just looks goofy to us. Uh, that great power is for big things. It's not for the normal stuff of life. It's not for the mundane stuff of life. Here's what I want to look at today as we wrap up this series. I think Jesus would have been seen as a superhero. Right? What I mean is uh, uh, when this letter was written, it was right around 50 AD, and that's like you know, give or take 16 or 17 years after Jesus whoop, ascended back up into heaven. But, but all his great miracles, all these incredible stories about Jesus, all these, you know, powerful exploits where he's, 
he, you know, he's ex- exercising his power over nature, telling storms to just stop, right? Or multiplying food or, you know, talking, driving demons out of people or, or his power over death. All those amazing stories would still have been really fresh in the ears and the minds of the people reading this, hearing this letter. And, <clears throat> and now Paul, in this letter, it basically he's saying, hey, Colossians, that superhero guy, Jesus, he now lives in you. His, his power, <clears throat> his power now lives in you. His power, you know, to, to lead you and help you and encourage you to live this new life, it now lives in you. And, 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 but he's different. Like Jesus, superhero Jesus, he's different from the Avengers, right? In, in the sense that he does these powerful exploits, like things be, way beyond our understanding. But uh, when he enters into the mundane stuff of everyday life, right? When Jesus enters into this mundane, uh, everyday stuff, it's not for comedic purposes. When Jesus enters into the mundane stuff of your life, it's because he loves you. And it's because it's where all of us live. That's where we live our lives. And what I want you to see today as we, as we wrap up this series is that Jesus, Jesus wants to empower us in places that I think would surprise us, in places that are the everyday mundane stuff of being a human being. He wants to empower us to live this new life well. So let's pray, and then we will uh, jump into the text. So Lord, uh, thank you for today. Thank you for, I thank you for everyone who's here. And I thank you that you, like you know everything. And, and I, that's a gift. And so I just pray that there'd be a freedom today to be honest with you. And I pray that uh, as we were singing, you're always with us. I pray today that you would awaken us to your presence here. Lord, help us. It's, that's a mystery to us. But, you, but uh, I pray that you would do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, we're in Colossians 3, 18. Last weekend, Olivia did a great job looking at the first half of 3, and we're going to look at the second half, and it leads us a little bit into 4. And so let's read. I'm going to read the whole chunk here. Colossians 3, 18 says this. There you go. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Okay, so I have a hunch uh, looking out at you that, that in reading this passage that some of you are like maybe even checking out already, like, oh, it's going to be one of those talks, right? Like, I'm not, what if I'm not married? What if I'm single? What if I, what if I don't have children? Right? And, and on and on. Let me say right off the top that, uh, that don't check out. Because the, the principle of this passage, what I believe Paul 
is, is pointing uh, towards in this letter, in this passage, it's not just for the people I mentioned. It's for everybody in the room. So please stick uh, with me. Now, before we answer the question of how does God empower us to live this new life, we first need to do some background work because this is a very, uh, a very challenging text. So uh, number one in your notes is the importance of context, right? Whenever you read the Bible, the context uh, is super, super important. Looking at Colossians and especially looking at this passage, one of the mistakes we can make is by taking, taking verses out of context. Or another way to put it, and this is, I hope, a helpful, helpful visual, uh, is when we try to establish meaning from the Bible by looking at one little leaf uh, uh, while ignoring the rest of the tree. Does that make sense? So this first vo- verse is a loaded verse, uh, and it's, it's one that has been so incredibly misused. Okay? The first verse is, uh, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. And this is a great example of, of if you pluck that leaf out of context, right? If you, if you take that out, uh, you can use that little leaf to support a very unhealthy, unloving, condescending, inaccurate view of the husband-wife relationship. Does that make sense? Right? You've probably seen it. You've, maybe even you've heard that. Uh, uh, some people take that little tiny leaf of Scripture and they, they use it as an example of how the Bible, how Christianity, how Jesus oppresses women. And when I hear that, I just think, have you actually looked at the tree? Have you actually read the Bible? I don't think there's anyone in the history of planet Earth that has elevated the value of women the way Jesus has. And so when we're reading the Bible, we need to be so careful uh, to, to, if you're looking at a leaf, to look at it up against the branch, at least start there, and then, and then if necessary, to look at it up against the, the entire tree in order to understand, okay, what is being communicated here? So what is being said in this text? Well, we'll get there in a second. Again, we need to look uh, more at context, at a different kind of context to answer that question, and this would be the context of culture, right? Like, when was this letter written? And I don't mean what time of day, I mean what year? What time in history was this letter written? It's, it was written in the first century, right around 50 A.D. And, and who's reading this letter? Like, who are the people originally, you know, sitting in a room hearing this letter? Well, in this passage, you can divide the people uh, that, are, that, are, are, uh, that we see in the passage, you can divide them into two groups. On one side, you've got the powerful people. There's this massive gap. On the other side, you've got the weak people. Right? On the powerful side, you've got, according to this passage, you have men, you have husbands, you have masters. And on the weak side, uh, you have women, you have children, and you, uh, you have slaves. And so for Paul to write in this letter, hey, wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Slaves, obey your masters. In the culture that this was written in, like nobody would have batted an eye at that. They would have been like, yeah, that sort of goes without saying. That's, that's how things go here. In the first century, the first century was a totally male-dominated culture. In that culture, women, children, slaves were seen as and were treated as, as property. 
Uh, women had no rights. In this culture, all the privileges belonged to the husband and all the duties belong to the wife. There's, uh, uh, there's a prayer that Pharisees would pray. The Pharisees were the religious teachers. And they, I mean, imagine, well, I, again, I'm looking through our, our context, but, but imagine being a woman and hearing this prayer. They would literally pray a prayer and they'd say, oh God, thank you for not making me a Gentile, right? Thank you for not, not making me a non-Jew, right? And then they would say, and thank you for not making me a woman, Right? That was a common prayer. These are the church leaders, if you will. Women couldn't vote. Their testimony in court was like not even valued. They had no rights. Children had no rights. In the first century, there was a Roman law uh, called patria potestis, and it means boop, the power of the father. I just learned this this week. This law, this is crazy. This law gave the father the authority to do anything he wanted with his children. So he could disown his kids, he could sell them into slavery, and, and, and he could even end their lives if he chose to. And there would be no, no pen, penalty, no punishment for that, because it's the power of the father. Children had no rights, slaves had no rights. It's estimated in the first century that uh, there were about 60, uh, 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire, and that would have been like half the population, and the slaves... Which, uh, were, were basically the workforce. Slaves were the machinery that made this empire go. Uh, uh, slaves were treated as things. Slaves were treated like living tools to be used. They're like, you know, one notch uh, uh, above cattle, right? And it's into that culture that Paul writes, wives submit, children obey, slaves obey. And I'm sure when, when the hearers heard this, you know, the people in power would have said, yeah, sounds right. They know their place, and the people in, on the weak side would go, yeah, sounds right, we know our place. But then, uh, in this letter, Paul blows their first century minds. It's like, no, you know, now let me turn to the strong. Let me, let me, in this first century culture, in this male-dominated culture, now let me say this. And so again, in this letter, Paul says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Fathers, do not embitter your children. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. So what I've been saying so far and looking at the cultural context is I'm trying to establish for you like just how wide the gap is. And so for, for, for the husbands, the fathers, the masters to hear what was just said, like, like I just try to imagine what that would have been like when they heard this. See, again, we read this and we forget that the common practice for the church would be when they get a letter, it's like, hey, we got a letter from Paul. I mean, I don't know how, you know, they, maybe they had a Facebook page. But they, but, you know, word got out, we got a letter from Paul. And they hadn't met Paul, but Paul was Paul. He had a reputation. He was known. And so just like we're gathered today, that little church would have gathered together to hear this letter from Paul be read to the group. But, but imagine, in this gathering, uh, there would have been a mixture of the powerful and the weak, right? There would, the room would have been filled with husbands and wives, parents, children. You would have had masters and slaves all sitting together. Like it's this new church, new believer, believers, and they're trying to figure out this new way that Jesus has introduced, that he's inviting them into. So just imagine if someone gets up to read that letter and they're listening and they're trying to take it all in and they're, if you remember, you know, they're going through, well, there, there were no chapters in the letter. It was a letter. 
but they're talking about, you know, Jesus is above all, and they're listening to this, and they're probably getting excited, maybe even saying amen. But, you know, and don't forget, because of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. It's not, you know, it's not if you get everything right and keep the law. It's, it's, it's his grace that you've been saved and all these things. Uh, you've been made right with God. You died with him. And now you live with him like, oh, we don't understand that, but I love it. You know, you've, you now have a new life in Jesus, all made possible by the presence of Jesus in you. You know, in the letter it's saying, remember, to, you know, and really to enter into this life, you've got to take off the old. You need to put on the new. And they're, they're going on and on. And then in this passage, the part that I read, Paul gives them a picture. He gives them a picture of here's the new life. Here's the new ways that I'm inviting you into. And then imagine the person up front reading that. And I just think there, there would have been like a hush come over the room. Like, husbands, love your wives. Like, like, it would have been so foreign to them. Does that make sense? Like, I don't think we really get it. I don't think we do. But, but it would have been so foreign for them, love your wives. You know, like, like literally, they would have been sitting there listening to it going, Wow. What kind of new life, what kind of way is this, what kind of love is that that we're being called to? Because when, when Paul wrote, father, uh, uh, husbands love your wives, like in the Greek language there's different, different words for love, and there can be eros love, which is erotic, sexual love, there's filial love, which is friendship, and then there's agape love, which is like self sacrificial love, and that's the one that Paul picked. Could you imagine husband and wife sitting together like, I'm in charge, you basically, you know, are my possession, and then hearing that, I'm sure the wife was like, <laughs> like, I, I don't know, I don't know if anyone laughed out loud, or like, 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 really? You want me to love her that way? Like, that I would literally give up my life for her? You know, uh, fathers, don't embitter your children, like, Children, I, I, you know, I don't even know how many kids I have. Like, I don't even care. And now this letter is saying, hey, I want you to be gentle with your kids. Don't be so critical that you just take the life out of them. Like, I want you to, to love these little ones. And then the masters, whose slaves are, like, they're not even people to them. Like, then it, for it to say, masters, hey, I want you to provide your slaves with what is right and fair. I bet they're just like, like, that is crazy. That is so crazy. And I'm sure, again, I, there's some license here, but, but uh, I think by the end of this letter, and once they'd picked their jaws up off the floor, I'm sure somebody would have put up their hand and said, hey, are you sure this letter's from Paul? Like, could this be fake news? Was this from CNN or was it from Fox, depending on what side you're on? But, but, you know, when I looked at that, I thought, isn't that just like Jesus? Like, I, I, I know you've experienced this, in, experienced this in your life, in your relationship with Jesus, right? Where, where you have your understanding about life. You have your beliefs. You have your opinions. You were raised in this kind of home, and this is who we are, and this is what we do, and this is who we value. This is who we don't value. This is what's important, on and on and on. And into that life, your life, Jesus steps in and goes, actually, no, that's not the way I want you to do it, right? Remember this series we did, this uh, Sermon on the Mount, where uh, uh, Many times in, this, in that series, Jesus was, would say stuff like this. He would say, no, you've heard it said, but now I say. I mean, that Jesus came to earth announcing the kingdom of God and saying, you know what? 
The kingdom of God is very different from the kingdom of this world. Right? The, the kingdom of God, my ways are not your ways. And this new life that we have been invited into as his followers, this new life that he wants to grow in you, this is important, is not reflected in a better version of you. Like, do you know that Jesus living in you, you know what he wants to do? He wants to make you more and more like him, more and more like Jesus. And that means there's going to have to be taking off of the old and putting on of the new for that to happen. So how does he do that work in our lives? Number two, how to live the new life. Okay, so in the passage we read, uh, here's, here's what I think Paul was saying or trying to accomplish in what he wrote. I'm just going to read this. I really don't think Paul is stating his opinion on marital roles. Like, I don't think he wrote what he wrote to these Colossians to kind of lay down, okay, in order to live the new life, husbands and wives, wives, uh, uh, it must look like this. Like, I don't think he was trying to teach them on, okay, if, if to live the new life, you need to embrace the egalitarian view on marriage, marital roles. That means husband and wife, you're, or that's another good picture, you're, you're on the same level, right? You're a team, you work together, you function together, right? I don't think he was saying, to live the new life, you need to embrace the complementarian view, which is, you know, Adam was first, Eve was second, so that means the, the husband, you, you're in charge, the wife, you are now subordinate to him. Like, I don't think that was the goal. I think what Paul, like, blowing them up, blowing their minds, I think Paul was saying to them, it's like Jesus wants to come along and say, husband, wife, before we get into talking about roles, why don't we get you guys moving towards each other? And why don't you let me work in your life and in your life uh, to teach you how to love each other. So, so wife, I'm going to have to lift you up. And husband, I'm going to have to probably bow you down to get to that place, that level ground of grace, right? I don't think in writing this, Paul was trying to take a stand on disciplinary uh, techniques like whether or not to spank your kids. I don't think he was getting at that. Again, I think he was doing the same thing. Mom and dad, you see that little one? That little one is a gift, and, and dad, you're, or well, I guess maybe both, but like you got a lot to learn about how to treat this little boy, this little girl. So before we get into techniques, why don't we work on your hearts? And let's teach you how to value this child that I've given you. I don't think he was trying to end slavery by what he was saying. Again, I think he was taking the masters and saying, and the slave and saying, hey, I want to teach you how to value this person and how to treat them like a human being. It's interesting, in the text, he doesn't let the slaves off. He says, and I want to teach you how to work hard, right? And how to work, you know, as for me, really. But, but uh, again, God is really wanting to be involved in our everyday, mundane stuff of life. And that, you know, these, those very human places uh, uh, of relationships, families, jobs, bosses. And, and I think this is so important because this is where we all live. Like, we all live in those places, and Paul is saying, hey, Jesus wants his power to come alive in those places to help us live this new life. So how does that happen? Colossians 2, 6 says this. <coughs> so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and over flowing with thankfulness. How do we get to that place that we've been invited into? Like, it is not possible on your own, right? The only way for it to happen is for you to, 
to learn now how to live your lives in Him. And, and I think really what that means is, is for us to have a growing awareness and dependence on the presence of God in us. It's at home, in your, in your families, in your marriage, you know, parenting, at work, bosses, all this different stuff of life. It's now learning to live in those places with an understanding that I am never alone. I am never alone. Right? The, the Bible, and again, this is such a mystery, but you, we need to think about this more. Because I would bet if we had like a little meter, I, I would sure we would all be living our lives on our own strength instead of his strength. Right? I'm sure if I went like that. You know what I mean? That's a visual. Okay. That's not in my notes. I just made that up. But I think that's, but the truth is I would bet the farm that we're trying to live a new life that's impossible on our own strength. And God's saying, yeah, it's not going to work that way. So you need to, you need to learn how to, to tune into the Spirit of God who lives in you. And, and we see this in John where it says, and, and you know, this, why is the Spirit of God there? He's there to empower you. He's there to comfort you. He's there to teach you. He's there to counsel you. He's there to guide you. And so again, how do we live this new life? It's with a growing awareness that he is always with us. And this is important. And he's not with us just passively. The presence of God of you is there active. It's an active presence. Why don't we throw up that next picture? Have you seen, have you ever seen one of these? And maybe, like last night, like everyone went, no. And I'm like, don't you watch TV? So these this is something called the mirror, okay? It's a, it's a fitness, uh, uh, a piece of a fitness equipment. And what it is, it's like 1,500 bucks. I've already checked it out. But it's, it's like this big mirror slash television that you mount on the wall in your bedroom, in your family room, in whatever room. And you can see this woman who's exercising. So she, you, she can see her reflection in, in, the, in the mirror, but she can also see that's, a, that's a, like a, a, a coach, Right? That's a, phys, a fitness coach that she now works with as she's, and I won't try to do that, but as she's trying to, <laughs> I would, might pull some fat in my back. But she, she uh, and so she, but, but just think about that. I mean, that's, in some ways, that's kind of creepy. Like, could you imagine in the morning walking by that and bloop, it comes alive. Good morning, Michael. Looking a little chunky. Right? I mean, that would be like, hey, I paid 1500 bucks for you. I only want to hear good things. Right? But, but just imagine if your goal is to get physically healthy, wouldn't that be an amazing tool to have everywhere you go, right? You go into the kitchen, bloop, you sure you want to eat that, right? right? Or, I mean, anyway, you're watching TV in the family room. Hey, why don't you do some exercise while you're binge watching? Or, you know, wherever, like at work, in the office, like, like wouldn't that be incredibly helpful if your goal was to get physically fit, to have one of those everywhere you go, not to condemn you, but to teach you and encourage you towards healthy living. Well, uh, that is a picture of Christ in you and you learning to live in him with an awareness of his presence of you and, and knowing that his presence in you is constantly not to condemn you, but to love you and encourage you and, and to instruct you in how do I live this new life? How do I love my wife? How do I love my spouse? How do I, in parenting, you go to work with your boss. I mean, like the place where we, where we all live. Here's one of my favorite verses uh, today is Philippians 2.12. It says this. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, 
not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And listen to this. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Like, I love that about God. I love that about him. Because you know what? This verse doesn't let us off the, off the hook. This verse says, hey, I've invited you into, into a new life that is beyond your ability. But that doesn't mean you're passive in this whole thing. That means you need to try. You need to, you need to work on your attitude at home and with your kids, spouse, with your families. You need to work on your attitude at work, and whether you're the boss or the employee, whatever it is. You need to work on it. But understand that for the whole journey that I am committed Right? I am committed to work in you, to will, to even want to do it, and to act, to actually do it in order to fulfill my good purposes. Now, that is, that is such good news to me that God makes that promise to us because I know for, there, there is nothing in my life that has exposed my weaknesses, my selfishness, my ugliness like home and being married. And having kids and being in a family and relatives and, and work. Like, do you know who I work with? No, okay, that's a joke. That's a joke. I work. Hey, well, that's a little tense. But, <laughs> but it's the same for you. Most of the anxiety and stuff and ulcers and all the stuff, the hard stuff, it happens there, doesn't it? It's within families. It's in relationships. It's your jobs. It's like, oh, like that's the place. And I love, I love that God says, hey, I want to I work there. So the superhero of superheroes says, I want you to see my power come alive there in those places. So, you know, uh, my hunch is that for many of you just looking out, seeing you, for many of you, I, have, I don't think I've said anything that you didn't already know. And, and, uh, uh, and I think that's one of the biggest challenges of life is we all know what to do. Okay, I need to trust God. Okay, I need to lean into God. Okay, I need, we all know what to do. The problem is actually doing it, right? And we are so busy, distracted. Our lives are just, you know, we have no margins. And I think we struggle to understand the mystery of the presence of God in us. I know I do. I mean, I love it. And I lean into it, but I just go, man, I don't, I don't, that's just weird to me. I don't understand it. But here's what I want to do. I want to end off today with uh, leading us through a contemplative exercise. Okay? And, so, and, and it's very simple. And all you need to do is get comfortable like, in your chair. Like, don't lie down on the floor. I wouldn't lie down on this floor. But I would just sit in your chair, get comfortable in your chair, um, uh, I would close your eyes so you aren't distracted. And I, if, if you're comfortable, I would open my hands on my lap. And it's just a physical way of saying, like, it's, just, it's like I'm open and I want to receive from you, Lord. And so as you sort of settle into that place, we're going to have some quiet. And then I'm going I'm to say a little prayer. We'll have a bit more quiet. And then I'm going to ask you some questions. And I just want you to let these questions stir up thoughts and, and just sort of work through those thoughts and then in a little bit I'll read a scripture to end us off and then we'll uh, then we're going to have a, a time to worship again but so let's just get quiet get comfortable <clears throat> so Holy Spirit we welcome you here 
We ask that you would come now. The Bible says that you're the one who lives in us. And you're there to comfort, to counsel, to empower, to teach, on and on and on. And so I ask right now that you would come close. Come, Holy Spirit. I pray especially for those right now who just struggle with this, that you would calm all of our hearts, calm our minds, and just help us to take to settle into you right now. So just, you know, if you want to, just within your own mind, just say, yeah, come, Holy Spirit, come to me. That's a great prayer to pray. To pray. And then in, in, in that quiet place, I, just, I, I want you to think about this last week. Think about this last week at home, at work, at school. <clears throat> just think about it. And then think about this last week and, and think about like where was it hard this week? Where, where was it hard? Where, where did you struggle this week? You know, did you struggle with family? Was it, you know, in your marriage? Parenting? A teacher, fellow student, your boss, your employee, fellow employee? Where was the struggle? Where did you feel overwhelmed? And in that place, did you feel alone? Did you feel inadequate? Were you afraid? Anxious? Angry? Disappointed? You know, did you feel used? feel hurt? You know, were, were there times where you, maybe you were shocked by what you did? Shocked by what you said or what you thought? So that may be hard because it's not a real nice place, but I want to encourage you just to stay in that hard place. And then I just want to say this from you, like from the Lord. The Lord says to you today, son, daughter, I was there. I was there in that place. I was with you. You were never alone. And son, daughter, I want to help you, empower you, in that place. I want to teach you. Teach you in that place. Come, Lord. Just come and surprise us with your presence.
Then I want to read a scripture over you. This is from Matthew 12. Jesus said this. He said, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you will learn to live freely and lightly. So, Lord, I bless, I bless all the ways that you're coming close right now. Just pray that you would go deep, go deep in our hearts, Lord. Love your presence. We were made, made to be in this place, to live in this place. So, uh, band's going to lead us in a song, and I would just encourage you. You know, as we start singing, I'd encourage you to stand up and just lean to this song, uh, worship for a bit, and then. Uh, invite some folks forward for prayer. But let's let's stand up. Let's